Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. So that was day 11 of the Australian Open. Our women's final lineup is set. It'll be Naomi Osaka against Jennifer Brady, or Jen Brady, as David likes to call her, a replay of one of the matches of 2020, if not the match of 2020, their US Open semi-final. And half of the men's final is set. Novak Djokovic will compete in the Australian Open final for the ninth time in his career. And uh, of course, he's never lost one. He's an eight-time champion and he awaits the winner of the second semi-final tomorrow or today or some time ago, depending on when you're listening to this, (laughs) between (laughs) Daniil Medvedev and Stefanos Tsitsipas. I'm starting, David and Matt, to get anxious about Monday and the fact that the Australian Open 2021 canister is running low. Oh, stop that. Oh. Mm. That is a sad thought. Mm. Come on, let's wait until Sunday to do that because I can't handle it. Okay. What I'm saying is I'm enjoying it and it's great and I don't want it to end. It's a positive thing, really. Okay, well, we'll, that's a good way of turning it around. Well done, Catherine. (laughs) I'm pumped again. We've all been up well, I say we've all. We all awoke at 3 a.m. for a soccer against Serena. Some of us snuck in some significant extra sleep uh, after that, and some of us stayed awake right the way through. Who might that be? Hands up, please. You're looking at him. <laughs> How are you feeling, David? Great. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it's been quite a, quite a few hours, hasn't it? Or 10 hours uh, and more. Since that, yeah, I mean, Osaka Serena was just fascinating. Not quite the match I thought it would be, but but really interesting. Um, lots to discuss. Brady uh, against Mukova was also not what I was really expecting. But I mean, the final game of it was the best game of the whole tournament, and um, and then. Djokovic and Karatsev was a lot more interesting than the score would suggest it was. Matt, you had a post-Brady, pre-Djokovic nap, is that right? Yes, So you feel, nap. feel fully replenished, fresh, ready exactly. to go, ready to break into song at any moment. <laughs> you wouldn't want to let, let the listeners down, Matt. Fortunately, we have a plan for that. We do. Whatever you do, folks, do not tune out of this thing before the end. If you were to to break into a song about Osaka and Serena, what, what song might that be about that match? Simply the best, unstoppable, seer? Tougher than the rest. Oh, okay. Tougher than the rest. Explain, Matt. Explain why that would be your song for Naomi Osaka versus Serena Williams. One, incidentally, uh, by Naomi Osaka, 6-3, I just thought of it because Bruce Springsteen once dedicated that song to Muhammad Ali, an inspirational sports figure, and we saw two inspirational sports figures today, Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka. And you have to be really, really tough to win a Grand Slam, 
tournament and Osaka is showing herself to be tough in matches and pretty much the best player on the planet at the moment. And I think we didn't see the best of Serena Williams today, but we did see the best pretty much of Naomi Osaka. I think it was interesting because it brought out a question of was Serena playing bad badly by her standards because she was playing badly or was it because what Osaka was doing to her that was the thing I was wrestling with throughout the match and I think by the end I came down on the side of it was what Osaka was doing more than anything that was causing Serena to have a bit of an off day the the pressure Osaka can apply to Serena is unlike what anyone else can do um She's calling the shots against Serena Williams, which is an extraordinary thing to say and to witness. Very interestingly, that is not how Serena Williams sees it. Uh, Just to dwell on that for for a moment, some quotes from Serena after the match. And there is so much to discuss from both of these players post-match quotes. But, But while you've brought that element up, Serena said, the difference today was errors. I made so many errors today. I could have been five love up and I made so in the first set, she means, and I made so many errors. Now, I don't I agree with you, Matt. I don't think that's the correct interpretation, but I think Serena has to see it that way. She has to believe that that matches are on her racket or, or else or else where does she go from here? I think for her to cope with that loss as much as that might sound ungenerous towards Naomi Osaka, and I think in sort of objectively it is, I understand why she needs to see it that way. Yeah, and I think when you've spent your whole career knowing that your best is the best and feeling that way when you take to the court, when it doesn't happen, that that must shake you, that must panic you, that must confuse you. And, you know, we've had... We've had lots of theories, haven't we, about what it will take for Serena to win another Grand Slam title. One of those theories was she needs to win a final first. She did that last year, didn't help. The other theory was probably she needs to improve her movement and her fitness. Well, that's the thing that we've witnessed this tournament, that that has improved. And that hasn't helped when she's come up against Osaka. So I think I can imagine that her sort of assessment of the match is therefore in the, in, a, in the immediate aftermath a little bit compromised. She must be confused about what happened. Mm. How is this happening to me? I, it's kind of the impression I got from her while she was playing and then in the press conference afterwards. She's not used to this. Mm. My theory is she needs a bit of luck now. She needs a couple of other people to lose with the with the possible exception of Wimbledon, because Osaka hasn't really quite proved herself at Wimbledon and Andrescu <laughs> we've never seen at Wimbledon. Um, and and generally speaking, Wimbledon is more of a closed shop um, in the men's and the women's game. But but my feeling is that, and this was something Mats Valander said after the match when talking about how upset Serena was in that press conference and there is there is another interpretation of how she, upset she was in that press conference and we'll talk about that in a bit um but his interpretation was that this loss hurts more because she worked harder and she got herself in better shape the best possible shape she can be in and it's no longer enough to hang with the very best it's enough to beat most, probably to crunch most. But there are a couple of people whose best is better now. And that is that is new for Serena. And I imagine a, a total sort of does not compute for her psyche. Mm. Yeah, on a hard court, mm. definitely. Um, I, I, I share your view that at Wimbledon, I think, I mean, we, we, we batted it around on BBC Radio and I still came out. I ended up coming out on the side that I think she will get 24 because I think she can win Wimbledon. Mm. Um, and when I look at the people that could beat her, I'm still shocked that she lost to Halep when I actually think about it. That's in, that 
and Halep was amazing, of course she was, but I still feel like if Serena could get it going there, she could she could win that. Um, but today, um, my theory, don't forget a few days ago, or as one of the possibilities in this match, was that Osaka might be inhibited against Serena. With Serena playing like this and the presence she'd got and the confidence she'd got, I know they'd played previously, but I thought maybe... Maybe it might affect her because she adores and idolizes her so much, Osaka. You know, it's only a year ago that she tweeted that picture of her with saying me, me with my mum or something like that. And um, when she's out there, okay, she, she lost her service rhythm and she was hitting lots and lots of double faults in spurts to give Serena a, a bit of a head start. But you take that away and there are only couple of instances of it the rest of it when they're in the rallies she was in charge all the way through that match and serena's constantly talking about unforced errors on the forehand that's what she is remembering from this match and i'm I'm sure if she'd have been able to not get emotion in the press comments and i understand why she got emotional and i understand why she wanted to leave after three and a half minutes i do get that um, but and I'm sure she would have got to the point where she congratulated Osaka, because I think she's become a very magnanimous, defeated player in recent years, and she really likes Naomi Osaka and respects her. But this match was a demonstration of how good Osaka is now. Mm. Uh, another another demonstration off the back of the one against Muguruza the other day, similar spurt at the end. And the, and you're just watching these rallies, and you don't know where she's going to go next. You do, she's got so many options of direction of ground stroke, and she can make up her mind at the very last split second, and she's there in time. And you can see the opponent leaning the other way, even if they're in a perfectly neutral rally. And against Serena Williams, is belting the living daylights out of the ball, and she still ends up leaning the wrong way because Osaka is just changed up she's seen what she's seen and she's wrong footed her it it's an incredible sight she she makes serena look so labor intensive somehow because serena injects that incredible power onto every shot it feels like she's putting her everything into every shot and that's exhausting whereas asaka is sort of hitting at about 60 70 percent most of the time and then suddenly does this injection and just finishes a rally at will which is such an efficient way of of ha- having power, um, yeah. It it and just you must just be sort of constantly on edge about about the fact that she could just turn that on at any point in a rally. What is she going to do next? And I I think the most fearsome thing about that performance is that although I think it was mentally a ten out of ten in terms of you know how she managed her emotions in the match and when she played her best tennis, just objectively in terms of the tennis, it was far from her best. She only served 45% first serves in. She hit eight double faults. She hit 21 unforced errors to 20 winners. Naomi Osaka can can play a lot better than that. And she was still brilliant today. Mm-hmm. David mentioned that run she had at the end of the match, which being similar to the one she had at the end of the Muguruza match. Incidentally, I think with time, we will, if we're not already, really come to appreciate how well mm. Muguruza played in that match to push Osaka. Um, She's the, what Sabalenka was at the mm. 2018 US Open. Exactly, yeah. No one else getting close and her almost beating Osaka. Um, but I just think that great players have an ability to time and time again do the same thing, and yet every time it seemed completely remarkable. Like, players have a, a trademark. You know, you think of the number of times you've seen Novak Djokovic hit a certain backhand on the stretch, or the number of times you've seen him go into a sort of lockdown mode. Well, Osaka, her thing is these surges. The number of times she gets herself out of trouble with extraordinary tennis at the right time is incredible. I mean, I can't get over that game she played in the second set at 4-all 
She'd just lost her serve with three double faults. It's four all in the second set. She then didn't lose another point in the match. She won the last eight. And the way she broke Serena's serve at four all was a backhand winner down the line, a backhand winner cross court, a double fault from Serena and another backhand winner. I mean, I gasped every time she hit a backhand winner in that game. It was it was incredible. And yet I wasn't shocked by it. I wasn't surprised by it. It was affecting and amazing, but it's what she does. And that's that's a champion quality right there. There's not many players that can that can do that. And mentally, what must that do to an opponent, knowing that <laughs> you you come out and play your best tennis, you get yourself into a lead, and you're playing someone that whose speciality is in that situation, having you right where they want you. Mm. You know, primed for a surge. I mean, there, there's no safe place. When you're facing a socket. It doesn't sound great for Jennifer Brady here, David. You look a bit down in the dumps. <laughs> no, I'm right. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm still remembering the semi-final at the US Open. Um, which was... As, as, as a contest, you know. Which was awesome. And um, Asaka described that as easily one of my most memorable matches, which was, which was really nice. Um, other things Asaka said in the press conference afterwards, which was a joy. Um, from from beginning to end, it was a little longer than they usually are because um, it was a. Often, what will happen is a player will win their semi final and do their post match press, and then they'll come back the next day and do pre final press, which is a requirement of all all finalists at Grand Slams. But Osaka had obviously asked to do it as a combined thing, um, and so journalists were were given a little longer, and she was so giving. Um, really giving great thought to to question, uh, uh, yeah, to all the questions that were put to her. And David kind of stuck a transcript in our in our notes and said, you know, have a look through it and edit edit as you see fit. And I've done that, and I've edited so little of it out. <laughs> I've basically only edited out ums and ahs because it's just gold, and it's an insight into somebody that is going to dominate the sport for potentially the next decade and we don't want to lose out on any insights about her we want to get to know her as as well as we possibly can it's like yeah it's like mining for gold so just going to sort of read it all out and let you enjoy getting to know Naomi Osaka she said this was talking about why she plays so well in finals of course she's never lost a Grand Slam final she's never lost Grand Slam match from the quarterfinals onwards. She said, I have this mentality that people don't remember the runners up. You might, but the winner's name is the one that's engraved. I think I fight the hardest in the finals. I think that's where you sort of set yourself apart. She said, when I was younger, I guess like two years ago or something. Anyone else <laughs> feel depressed about that statement? <laughs> she did catch herself she when she did. said that. <laughs> she did, but that is... That is an amazing quote. When I was younger, I guess like two years ago or something, I felt like my goal was to make history, to have one thing that I was able to do, right? I would say I wanted to be the first Japanese person to win a slam. I think that was my goal. Then there were, I mean, harsh on Kane Shikori there, just sort of counting him out of the equation. Um, then there was more things to do. So for for the me right now, of course, it's nice to see your name or a trophy or your name on a wall. But I think bigger than that, I feel like I'm playing with a different purpose for this trip. I'm just so happy with my team. And we've been through the entire quarantine and we've been stuck together. Every day is really fun with them. I just want to do really well as a vessel for everyone's hard work. I think the thing I'm most proud of now is how mentally strong I've become. I used to be really up and down. I had a lot of doubts in myself. But I think the quarantine process and seeing everything that's going on in the world, for me, it puts a lot into perspective. I used to weigh my entire existence on if I won or lost a tennis match. That's just not how I feel anymore. I'm opening myself up more to my team, having longer talks with Wim before I go out, expressing the nerves that I feel instead of bottling it all up and trying to deal with it by myself. I'm secure in myself as a person and knowing that the people that I love will still love me. My family won't hate me because I lose a tennis match and stuff like that. This wonderful bundle of contradicting 
things, this steeliness and this grandeur, this unashamed, unabashed grandeur in in what she wants to be as a person, aspiring to be extraordinary and great, accompanied by this amazing shyness and almost coyness about herself. Um, it's it's magnetic, I think. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, her, I called it quiet competitiveness on the court whilst facing down her idol. That's what gets me. Is she's she's looking over there at the person she watched as a kid, and she's not gonna back down. She's not gonna make a massive song and dance about it. But quietly, she's saying, "Come on to herself," and she is gonna go for it, and she's not gonna get rattled, and. I love every minute of that. And I remember when she won the Australian Open two years ago and she'd beaten Serena the few months earlier, then she wins the Australian Open. And then it was really, really uncomfortable to watch her try to get used to all of this for quite a while. I I, I felt really uncomfortable. And I put it, I, I view it as the, the sport was, the sport was happening to her. And she just was trying to adapt and find out how, how on earth she could fit into this and and be what everybody wants her to be and be what she's supposed to be. Now she's happening to the sport. She, the sport is having to just adapt for her because she's the one. She has everything. And I don't like to view athletes in terms of marketability and all those sort of things but what i do like about her that's different is she's got all of these brands but she is going to decide she is going to make sure that they fit in with her beliefs with what she wants out of life and it's not just money it's if if it if it involves time that she doesn't want to spend she's not going to do it she's just going to fit with things that align with who she is I mean, well done her agent in that way for, for, for going along with that. But also, I don't think you know, the agent would have any choice. If you want to work with her, she is going to dis- work out how, how these things are going to happen. Uh, and a good agent won't fight that and will will enable them. And she's just – she does have the potential just as a, as a, a figure in sport and in life to, to be massively influential. I already think she is. But the but we're only just scratching the surface at the moment. I I think she's wonderful, really do. If she wins the final on Saturday, she'll be the first four-time major winner since Maria Sharapova in men's or women's tennis. The first new four-time major winner. That's something that Andy Murray didn't do. Stan Wawrinka, you know, Angelique Kerber. It does feel like that is kind of the threshold for dominance and being the one David as you said it's setting yourself apart I I guess you could argue argue Sharapova never had a prolonged period of that Um, but her her slams are a lot more spaced out than the Naomi Osaka's would be if she were to win on Saturday that does feel like a a tipping point for for dominance to me yeah and even at four, she she's only getting started. I think. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. What about what about Serena and the way she left the court? There was a prolonged and poignant wave to the Rod Laver Arena crowd before she descended into the tunnel. They were on their feet, applauding her. She had her her hand over her heart, um, and she she seemed like she was potentially holding back tears throughout a lot of the press conference, doing a very, she was very composed, but she she certainly was holding in some emotion. And then and then she was asked by Karen, Karen Krause um, of the New York Times, I think, um, about that poignant, poignant wave. And at first she kind of tried to bat it away and just said how much she loves the, the Melbourne crowd and, and Karen followed up and, and, told her how some people were interpreting the exit from the court, which was as a farewell. Um, and at that point, she really seemed to be 
to be holding back the tears. Um, and uh, she said, I've, del- I've managed to delete the exact quote. She said, when it's a farewell, I won't tell anyone about it. Um, but then there was a, then there was a follow-up question along, along a different line from a, from a different journalist. Um, and once that was asked, she, she obviously reached the point where she couldn't keep her composure anymore and her voice broke and she said, I'm done. And, uh, she got up and left. How do we interpret all of that? I mean, there's obviously one, <laughs> one kind of big interpretation door open and ready for everyone to walk into and, and start writing about. Um, I don't think there's quite enough evidence for it, for us to do that, but it certainly seems to me that for a, for a bunch of reasons, this very well might be her last Australian Open. Yeah, yeah, it could could well be. When you're turning 40 in September, which she is, um, that's absolutely a possibility. And her life, whether she wants her life to be this beyond this year, there's a lot to consider really, isn't there? Um, but she was also not having it on, on the spot itself um, or not prepared to engage with it. Um, so I think it's definitely possible this, this could be her last one. Um, I guess it depends if she gets 24 this year, maybe. Perhaps. Yeah. Or maybe she's just decided whether I do it or I don't. Yeah. Maybe she's just decided for her life Mm. that this is the last year she wants to play tennis. It's that's also possible. Mm. Um, you know, and whatever is, she'll give it a best shot. That That is definitely a possibility. It was not nothing, that moment. Mm. I don't know what it was, but it was something. Mm. There, there it was, was a real a- connection, wasn't it? And, and I mean, I, I definitely think, at the very least, it's it was a realisation of what she's missed and how much it meant to her and how not only the, the moment and the crowds, but the sport and... Better, better in that. And I think it's Stu Fraser wrote, "There's that's a crowd situation for you. You just don't get that reaction if there isn't a crowd bringing you to the uh, brink of tears." I think you do if you're Stefano Sitsipas and you take a moment to address the non-existent crowd <laughs> in your moment of victory, <laughs> which is exactly right. what he did yesterday. It was it was adorable. He turned to sort of all four corners, like, oh, I don't want to miss anyone out. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd agree. I don't know what it means, but it didn't feel like nothing. Mm. So we'll spend the next 12 months speculating. Enjoy. Well, she's got to stop sometime. And Hey, it could just be a sort of recognition that even if I want to come back next year, look, if the last 12 months has taught all of us anything, it's that nothing's a given. Plans get yeah. wrenched from you and things get taken out of your control. Could could be as simple as that being in the back of her mind. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't nothing. I don't know whether you felt this. I I think I always feel it to some extent after Serena loses at a slam, a certain heaviness. I I, I don't quite know how to put my finger on it, but even after all this time, whenever she loses, perhaps especially now after all this time. I feel a weight after after she's lost. Um, still not entirely used to it, which sounds a ridiculous thing to say because, of course, she's entered more Grand Slams and lost than she's won. But there's something about this pursuit that she's on, which is sort of a pursuit of a bit of a ghost record. But equally, she's not played it down either. She's talked it up. Um, I'm always left with this feeling of how many tournaments are left for her. Um, yeah, it, it's strange. It, it it really affects me when Serena Williams loses at a slam. And it's not a sadness that I feel. I, I You know, the result is kind of relevant to me in terms of um, who wins these matches. But just for somebody who is defined by her greatness... I I do feel a bit sad that sometimes the conversation is about the way the way she's falling short mm. because I don't think she is it it is 
it's a remarkable achievement in so many ways that she's still where she is. Is that because of her framing, though? She didn't I, come into the press conference, you know, the way Nadal sure. did yesterday and said, look, I'll, uh, focusing on the positives, yeah. framing it in that way. She came in and framed it as, I let myself down today. That wasn't good enough. This isn't mm. good enough. I unashamedly want more than this. I mean, I, I bet they're in very different positions, though, aren't they? Okay, um, maybe the Nadal comparison isn't right. But just to take what Matt said is the way we feel about her losing being led by her, just as the, the 24 narrative is being led by her, if she were playing it down. I don't, I don't think she, I don't really agree with that because we are constantly talking about 24, all of us in the media. But she could be telling us, shut up, that doesn't mean anything to me. I just think, I mean, that would be disingenuous if she did that. Well, exactly. Um, so it does mean something. So it means something. Well, and we'd, we'd, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, if she, if she told... it does, but... I feel so uncomfortable with the, as you said, Matt, the, this ghost record, that if Serena said, it doesn't matter to me, I'm not bothered, I would instantly stop talking about 24. Because I don't think objectively it's that that important. It would get the occasional mention. You think, you but would it wouldn't be that. the narrative. You would believe that. I, I wouldn't, wouldn't now, that. but had she done that for because I know that she cares, that's what I'm saying. I personally feel like everybody knows what the Grand Slam list is. And it wouldn't yeah. matter whether she's And the Grand Slam list before twenty four came up, it was always Steffi Graf. Only because that was the next in line. No. I think. No. The graphics before she got to twenty three, the graphics didn't have Margaret Court on. As some of them, but I as, would have, as I Billie can Jean King told you, us about the the graphics too rarely don't feature, you know, pre open era and don't feature the caveats that they should. No, well, I agree with you about what they should, but they did. I know, I know, some graphics have been produced that show that that's not on there. But I, I remember covering her striving for Steffi Graf's record and her over t getting Steffi Graf's record and overtaking it. And I was not talking about 24 and Margaret Court. Okay. I mean, I just don't agree with that. I, I, you might have not been. I certainly would have been thinking, okay, there's Steffi she's overtaken. Who's next? It's Margaret Court. Regardless of how legitimate it might be in reality, given the circumstances that we've discussed on many, many shows, that's the list. Is is David and I having a row in improving your sense of of, of heaviness, Matt? How's the heaviness? No, it, it's interesting. I've I've wrestled with these questions myself. Do you, do you know what would lighten the mood, answer. Matt? <laughs> another another twenty five minutes to go, folks. A sing song, a sing song, just a little while. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. 
Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Right, what song are we uh, slapping on the Jennifer Brady-Carolina Mukova match? Brady won 6-4, 3-6, She won it on her fifth match point after an 18-point game during which Mukova had three points to try and break back four, five all. What what song? What song would, would we like to imagine playing in the background of our of our summary of this match? Any submissions? Let me do with the end. Because it was all about the end of that I mean Bruce Springsteen has a song in... about everything, Matt. Come on. You can <laughs> I w- as I've already said, I was wallowing in Serena Williams' heaviness. Right. That I must say my attention was kind of elsewhere during the early stage of this match, but I do feel like the crux of this match was the final game. David, talk, I can't give you a song. Talk us through the final game while I think about match. songs. I can talk you through the match. I mean, it was um, she got off to an absolute flyer, Brady, and she was just going for broke right from the first ball, and she went two love up in about four minutes. Um, and then she just started missing. And Mukova did a good job of extending rallies. And I don't think I don't think Brady played very well at all, really, throughout most of the match, because she was going for too much. And you could see, uh, she was so anxious and tight, just because she's trying so hard. And Mukova played some she's a clever player and she just extracted some errors and it was honestly the whole match was a mess it was not a good tennis match i mean it was entertaining but it was not good tennis i don't think either one of them would would think oh i played well today really and then the final game and honestly it was a it was a bit of a switch off in that way i don't i think particularly after the serena osaka uh, etc this felt error strewn and two players inevitably racked with anxiety because they're on the brink of a grand slam final for the first time. Suddenly Brady gets into a winning position. And, and I, this is what I like about her. She, even though she wasn't playing very well, she won enough big points to break and she's got to serve it out. And that final game was the most dramatic, wonderful game of the entire fortnight. Um, Brady had five match points in it. And on the second of them, she hit a ground stroke that she thought was a winner and she fell to one knee with a smile and she was just about to put her hands to her head in disbelief and drop the racket when the out call came. Or I think she might have even missed the out call initially and she'd missed and she just couldn't believe it for a few seconds and then had to gather herself and try and win the match again. And so... That's two match points gone. Another two would come and go. Mukova would have breakback points. And it was just in, incredibly tense. You felt like every ball was was a bit like the Andy Murray serving for the Wimbledon title ma- uh, game against Novak Djokovic 2013. And um, uh, But Brady got the job done. because And she plays. I, t- I was watching this and thinking, she reminds me of... Spanish clay quarters from about 15 years ago. The, the 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 shape of her shots, this loop on them with vicious power and topspin, and her grunt sounds like a, a Barcelona clay quarter. Um, and I just love it. I love how the workmanlike way she goes about every single ball, and she's just full commitment, nonstop. Um, and I think it's the reason why I would give her a chance against Osaka is the semi-final that we saw at the US Open, obviously, but her complete understanding that she's probably an inferior tennis player in many ways. And she said herself in her, in her interview, um, Osaka put so much pressure on you because she can serve her way through a game in 45 seconds. So you have to take it to her. You have to be the first one on the offensive. And the thing is, I felt like she started this match like she's going to have to start against Osaka, going for everything, blasting away, trying to knock herself out of rhythm. She probably didn't need to do that today. She probably needed to bring it in a bit in order to have an easier time against Mukova. 
but she knows all guns blazing against Osaka. She was quite open about how she thinks she's going to be nervous, wasn't she, against Osaka in the final? I mean, I like that honesty, but I don't think Osaka will have any troubles with the occasion whatsoever. And if Osaka plays well and Brady is nervous, there's potential for a bit of a blowout. But if Brady can keep her nerves together, like you say, David, that US Open semi-final, even though she lost, must give her belief that she can go toe-to-toe with Osaka when she's playing well. So I really feel like that final could go one of two ways. It could be really tight or Osaka could put her foot down. Um, she, uh, she after the match, Jennifer Brady said, I can't feel my legs. My legs are shaking. My heart is, heart is racing. I don't have words. <laughs> it was exactly what Grand Slam tennis, that, that end of a tournament should feel like. Yeah. And it was, it, I love how much it means to her. You could see it in every bit of her body language. Out of the Woods by Taylor Swift is the best I've got. Are we out of the woods cool. yet? Are we out of it's the quite, woods yet? It's quite good. Yeah. Yeah, that is good. Okay. Great. Um, <laughs> Matt, David says Brady has a chance in the final. What do you think? As I said, I think I think she can cause Osaka problems if she plays well. I am worried about her nerves, though. I'm casting my mind back to that US Open semi-final. She was quite nervous in the early stages of that and it and really kind of pulled it around. Yeah. She mentioned how much more nerve-wracking it is in front of fans. Mm. How this Oh, that's a good point. Mm. I hadn't thought about that. Because of the US Open was behind closed doors. Of yeah. And this this properly felt like she was trying to reach a Grand Slam final. She was incredibly aware of that pressure in that final game. And she said she thinks it will be the same on Saturday. Just an atmosphere she hasn't experienced before. I mean, she's only ever won one title, and that was last year in Lexington. With no fans. With no fans. You know, all these firsts are coming so thick and fast for Jennifer Brady in... in to 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 quote our own Twitter feed again, when tennis returned, Jennifer Brady was number 49 in the world. And since then, she's won her first WTA title, reached her first slam semi-final at the US Open and reached her slam, first slam final at the Australian Open. You know, she's, I know I always say it, but it's just extraordinary how transformed she is. And, and not remotely by accident, she made a really big call to go to Germany during lockdown, to spend her lockdown in Germany. Everybody else talked about, oh, well, there are positives, you know, I get to spend more time with my family. That's something we don't get on the tennis tour, you know. None of that for Jennifer Brady. She went to Germany and she decided to transform herself and her career with with a new coach, Michael Gesserer, and it's so admirable and so, so inspiring. Two inspiration people, again, in the mm. final. <laughs> Yeah. Um so yeah, that's super cool. I you know, I think I think if it if the nerves aren't a factor, I think Brady can can make it perhaps closer than people will give her credit for in advance. But I still think I just think Asaka's irresistible at the well, moment. Well, I mean, I think I think Brady played her best tennis against her in that semi-final and she still couldn't quite win. Mm. Um mm. and Osaka didn't go into detail. She said, I don't want to, you know, expose myself and reveal everything. But she started talking about how she thinks she's a better player now mm. than she was even at the US Open. <laughs> she mentioned her returns being better and then stopped herself from talking about other parts of her game. <laughs> to me, I mean, Osaka, I've seen Osaka play brilliantly a lot. But this tournament, I mean, every time she stepped on the court, She's been excellent. Mm. And I think in other tournaments, she's she's had ups and downs a little bit more. She is playing at a consistently higher level, I think, in this tournament than even she was at the US Open. Amazing. It's going to be amazing. That'll be the night session on Saturday. Uh, the men's final uh, is obviously played at night as well. 
That'll be Sunday. It will feature for a ninth time Novak Djokovic. He beat Aslan Karatsev, which is seemingly an impossible thing to do in tennis in 2021. <laughs> he beat Aslan Karatsev 6-3, 6-4, 6-2. The old win predictor pre-match gave Aslan Karatsev a 9% chance of winning. And on one hand, kind of with the benefit of hindsight, that looks really harsh because Aslan Karatsev really gave it a great go. It was like he'd seen that 9% and gone, up yours. But equally, he gave it a great go, played well and still lost in straight sets. So maybe that's got 9% written all over it. It was straight sets win. Ultimately, there was one... No, there were two nervy moments for Djokovic. One, they shared the first six games, and Karatsev had some highlight real moments. I mean, he has boot-shaking power off his ground strokes. You know, the, even Djokovic, you could see tr- as he was trying to absorb some of the power, was rocked back on his heels by this guy. Um, but once they got to three all, he broke, and the set was over in seconds. It felt like uh, next three games for Djokovic, but then. Midway through the commentary set I was doing, in the second one, Djokovic had got himself into a very convincing lead, 5-2, serving for the set, and he got broken, and he wobbled. He got nervous, and Karatsev played really, really well. And again, he had break-back points when Djokovic was serving for it at 5-4 as well. So it was really tight. Um, And then you knew that the big fist pump and roar was coming out of relief when Djokovic held and got that set 6-4. It was and, like, and it, I, and it, I'm the lion around here. <laughs> it duly did come. Um, but Djokovic, that's the best he's played. He was utterly dialed in. He wasn't worrying about his injury. He said afterwards, I didn't, it didn't hurt. I felt fine. I'm, I'm, I'm playing at night. I'm in the semifinals. This is my favourite court. I mean, good luck to the other two trying to stop that he said this is the best i felt all tournament felt great i could swing through the ball no pain just the best match so far it came at the right time i'm thrilled um and kind of for the first time in the post-match press conference he really shut down talk about the injury um so i think that needs to kind of exit the conversation now where Djokovic is concerned um he's never lost an australian open final he hit 30 winners to 14 unforced errors today and and yeah he had a he had a lot to cope with from Aslan Karatsev he he called upon the crowd to to give Karatsev an ovation as he as he left the court because it you know it's great seeing someone just fling their everything into a pursuit even if it seems hopeless um which it kind of did from the moment that Djokovic secured that first break of serve in the opening set because you knew that Karatsev Kratsev didn't have any other gears to call upon. He, his top gear just wasn't quite good enough, and there's no shame in that against the world number one. Um, incidentally, I discovered overnight, I don't know why I'm setting myself up for more bad pronunciation, but I discovered overnight that Karatsev, who who spent some time um, many years ago playing in the Bundesliga for a team called Blauweisshalle. That's, that's how I've decided to do that. Like it. Mm-hmm. Um, he was known as Divada, which means the calf, because of his enormous calves. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's understandable. Yeah. yeah. By the way, you got some you got some compliments for your Dutch pronunciation the other day. I did, and someone suggested on Twitter that y- your laughter afterwards was insulting. So I'd like to stress that you were you were laughing at me, um, and my desperate attempts to do pronunciation right, and not at anything about foreign languages. We're always getting in trouble. Yeah, we we are getting in trouble. I don't know why I'm engaging with people insulting. If we engage with everybody insulting us on Twitter, it would be a longer and more tiresome podcast. But anyway, one of the corresponding corresponding gave you eight out of 10. Okay. Yeah, I'll take that. I mean, I feel a bit like, I feel a bit like, I feel a bit like Serena because I've got nothing else to give. So knowing that your best is only an eight out of ten is is a bit of a well, sadness, just, really. Just put your feet up and have a cake. Mm. I would, but I always like to feel like I I could get better. I could I could right. achieve ten out of ten if I wanted to, but well, there's always next there's nothing year. else. No, no, there's nothing else left in the tank. There, <laughs> I've, d- I've done my very best. 
Oh, suddenly I can relate to 23-time Grand Slam champion Serena Williams. <laughs> um, this might be a dumb question. Bundesliga. Well, I know. I, I've, tried to, I've tried to dig, Matt. That's, that's the tennis thing, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. a German tennis thing. Yeah, uh, that, that's how a lot of these tennis players earn a living, really. It, uh, it's, like a, it's like a sort of German... Um, circuit league yeah. which i don't okay. think exists yeah. in in other countries i think well, wasn't, do, doesn't... wasn't that where thomas muster was trying to start his comeback not sure not sure i mean listen one there are them, a lot maybe. of uh, and was talking about it on five lives the other day i think there's a czech one as well right. um mm. we, do, we don't really have it in britain but these are good financial opportunities for players to supplement their income when they're playing ITFs and challenges. It's a really tough life out there, but they can join up to these clubs and and get an affiliation and, and earn some decent cash. And it's a team mm. format, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Hence Blauweiss-Haller. Blauweiss-Haller, yep. I've said it again. Um, when now for Aslan Karatsev, he's ranked... 42 in the world. That's his projected ranking come Monday. He talked a lot in his press conference about the fact that he will get direct entry to tournaments now, won't have to play qualifying. Yeah. That is that is a massive sort of life changer for him, yeah, not I having so. to play qualifying. Mm. And he spoke about more than anything, what he thought he gained from this tournament was some belief that he can hang with the best players in the world. And actually, that mirrored what Jennifer Brady said in her press conference about how it was only last year that she got that belief herself when she started practicing with the top players, started having some results against them. And she thought, hang on a minute, they're not doing anything that's more spectacular than what I'm doing. This is the thing. I need to trust my own game. I've got power. I've got weapons. And Karatsev has got all of that. So if you can take that... And calves. If he can take that belief, mm. then he's got a game that I do think will translate. But but he, know, but he hasn't got his uh, Twitter followers. He's got about a third the number of, of Matt. So <laughs> give the bloke a follow on Instagram. Really, not many at on all, Instagram man. as well. He could do with a few follows. And his last post was a lovely picture of himself with a gorgeous dog. So, Aww. yeah. It, re- it reminds me about 10 years ago when Dan Evans was playing Davis Cup and producing some surprisingly good results, but really not breaking through at all on the tour. And I always used to think if he plays really well in front of these big crowds, if only he could fast track himself into the top 100 with wild cards or whatever it might be to a point where he kind of cares and enjoys the the environment and, and, and do the bit he's good at. Now, I mean, look, he ended up working really hard, finding his way through the troubles he caused himself and, and got there anyway. But this guy has now fast-tracked himself inside the top 50 with one incredible month of his life. And a lot of players have said in the past, it's easier to stay there because you can play these events with many, many more points available, even if you just win a couple of rounds every mm. now and again, you kind of stay more or less where you are in the rankings. Mm. I actually think his game, it looks to me like there's potential for him to do well. You know, it, it doesn't feel like a game. It, it's a game that can hurt people. It looks solid. Um, mm. Who knows? Uh, Djokovic obviously wasn't able to talk in depth about the final, look ahead to it, you know, because he doesn't know who his opponent's going to be. Um, he talked about kind of the rivalry between Medvedev and Sitsipas, hinted at the the checkered personal history. Agro. Uh, agro between those two. Um, he did describe, I thought this was a, just a little bit of um, insight he perhaps accidentally gave at the end of an answer about the two of them. He just threw in the line that Medvedev is the man to beat. Yeah, he'd rather have Sitsipas, I'm sure. Yeah. But I got the impression he meant in tennis, not just in that match. I mean, that's probably a... Yeah, sure, a mind game, in... whatever it is. Anyway, yeah. I just, it was a... Yeah, it was a it's an interesting line though, line, isn't it? Yeah. It, it? And I think he's won three out of the last four matches he's played against Djokovic, mm. Medvedev has. 
Yeah, um, he he for sure wants it to pass. Sit to what's pass. What's the top ten record of him? He's how many? T- he's isn't he won his last eleven matches against top ten players? Never there. Yeah, eleven in a row since the U.S. Open. Mm. And that's what he was talking about, Djokovic, the the streak and the role that he's on. Yeah, and Medvedev's talked about that himself. Mm. He feels extra confidence because every time he takes to the court, he wins at the moment. And so many of, I think he's won 19 in a row, hasn't he, Medvedev? Mm. And so many of those are against top 10 players, hence his streak, because he played the ATP Finals and the ATP Cup, Mm. where he was basically only playing top 10 players. You might describe it as metronomic. (laughs) Sit to pass. I I saw a quote in a little VT that Eurosport ran with uh, with looking ahead to the Medvedev sit to pass match tomorrow. A sit to pass said, "I need to take my chances and press." Sounds like a Pep Guardiola quote. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Don't quite know what he means by that. Just be aggressive, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. He was quick to retract his previous comments about Medvedev's game. He said, I think in the past I might have called him boring. Did everyone nod and say, yep, you definitely did. We remember it well. Would you like me to play it to you? (laughs) I might have called him boring. The thing is, it is boring in terms of being his opponent. I mean, you just ask Andre Rublev, who's trying to hit his way through him. Uh, It's a nightmare to play the guy. I don't find it boring to watch, though. Oh, no, I like I like watching Daniel Medvedev, actually. Particularly, it, it also depends who he's playing. I can't wait to see him play Stefano Tsitsipas. Yeah. That mm. is a fantastic match on paper, really. Especially over best of five. Oh, bring it on. It's, uh, it's at 7.30 uh, local time, 8.30 UK time tomorrow. 8.30 in the morning in the UK. I'm going Tsitsipas. What are you oh, going? Oh, my gosh. Unsolicited prediction. I'm going Medvedev. I'm also going Medvedev. Uh, before that, it is the men's doubles semi-final on the Rod Laver Arena. Jamie Murray, Bruno Suarez against Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury. Uh, the prize there is to take on Ivan Dodig and Filip Polishek in the final. They beat Mektic and Pavic, the second seeds today. Uh, that's followed by the women's doubles final, the second and third seeds. So Merton Sabalenka taking on Krejcikova and Siniakova. Um And the last bit of results news is the mixed doubles final. Krejcikova could do the double, the doubles double. Because uh, she and Rajiv Ram are into the mixed doubles final. They beat Storm Sanders and Mark Pullman, the, uh, the all-Aussie pairing. So there you go. I'm trying to I'm trying to drag this out because the canisters the canisters running. I can feel the canister running low. People are fast forwarded to this cup and get on with it. <laughs> um, we've got to do shout outs and so on first. I've got to say hello to Zeus. Um, we keep yeah. getting the results, Zeus, but not the sets. So oh. I will keep trying. Rogue's entered our competition and looks splendid. Yes, Rogue has been watching the tennis. Uh, do check out our Instagram if you want to see animals watching tennis. And if you've got an animal, animal that watches tennis, um, particularly while listening to the tennis podcast or while wearing uh, tennis podcast merch, then mm. do pop it in your Instagram stories and tag us and you might win a very special prize. Um, so that's Rogue. Matt, who you got? Council Mousel. I had a bit of your trouble today. Didn't get the sets. Mm. Oh, I was the only winner today. Council Mousel yet you were. to enter our Instagram competition. We await. Yeah. I'd love to yeah. see Scouse. Scouse is uh, his owner calls him. Djok- Djokovic came good for us, Rogue. You know, we're closing the gap. Didn't get many points for that, though, did you? Because enough, enough. the win prediction. Told you how, yeah. Anyway, uh, Crumble is our Australian Open mascot. Hang on, have we had a Crumble submission to the competition? Crumble must no. be watching. Come on, Crumble. Get it together. She loves the Australian Open. Yeah, we we await a Crumble entry. Uh, and Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer. Top bloke. Uh, Matt, our shout-outs, please. Lisa Casey. Oh, hello, Lisa Casey. Hi, like, Lisa. Are you, are you related to the golfer but, Paul Casey? Mm, yeah. Could no, be. Maybe not. 
He went to my school, Paul Casey. No. no. Yeah. Is he any good? Golf? Aren't there ben? other famous people? Aren't they? Don't you have quite an illustrious alumni? Yourself yeah, included, so. obviously. <laughs> yeah, Paul yeah. Casey. I don't know about Paul you, Casey's David, on, but my Paul, school. Paul Casey's had... on the golf podcast right now saying, I went to school with Matt Roberts. <laughs> I don't. What, does your school have any alumni besides you, David? Nick Gillingham, <laughs> the swimmer. Who is that? <laughs> Who? Olympic is he like silver a medalist, level swimmer. Oh, right. okay. Mid eighty, mid eight, late eighties. Right. Yeah. Mm, okay. We had uh, Beryl Cook, the artist that painted fat ladies. Fantastic first name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tried to get in touch with Paul Casey when I was at school for the student newspaper and got a frosty reply. He did not like the school. Mm. Really? What did he say? He, d- he didn't want anything to do with it whatsoever. <gasps> what, what was his exact word? He, oh, I can't remember. Was the this his agent wording. or this was a personal <laughs> reply? Um, Student Matt has had a personal email exchange with golfer Paul Casey. No, no. The teacher in charge of the school newspaper on my... I said, why don't we try and interview Paul Casey? And he said, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Got in touch and we quickly discovered that he did not like the school. (laughs) So that was a bit awkward. Oh, dear. This is a good bit (laughs) of What would you say if you were contacted by the school paper and asked to... Do you know, this is going to make me sound terrible, but I actually have been. (laughs) (gasps) Oh, this shout out's gone to some places I didn't expect. Carry on. What have you been asked to do? I tell you what, be it was. an inspiration it was, person. It was to talk about doors that can open up from languages at university. Right. I mean, I don't do anything to do with languages at university that, that I study. Perhaps that's yeah. The point. I, I'm just waiting to be asked to talk about the doors that open up from philosophy at university. Mm. And I'm waiting to find out what doors are going to open up from failing all my levels. <laughs> <laughs> So are you going to you gonna do, you gonna do it? You gonna it do worked. It, I've done it. It was a while ago. Oh. It was it was a written thing. Right. Okay. Well. Anyway. <laughs> Who's our second uh, Someone that won The Apprentice also went to my school. Oh, oh yeah. Who? Which one? Uh, Yasmina. It was quite... Well, Yasmina's just got a free shout out. Yeah, she didn't pay for that. So let's move on. <laughs> let's edit that out. <laughs> Carry on, Matt. <laughs> The next one is Noreen Riley. Hey, oh, Noreen. I like the name Noreen. Yeah, me too. There's a lot of Rileys that we could go for. George Riley, the um, the West Bromwich Albion striker from the mid-80s. Yeah. Lisa mm. Riley. Lisa Riley, yeah. Uh, uh, East End, uh, no, em- Emmerdale. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, Noreen. Carry on. And finally, Chris Sidey Gibbons. Oh, that's good. You man. always finish on a big one. Yeah, great. How do you spell that? I have to build up to it. Which part do you want me to spell? The middle bit. <laughs> well, Sidey Gibbons is, is hyphenated. S-I-D-E-Y hyphen Gibbons. I'm still, trying, I'm still trying to think of a good hyphenated name for myself. You're strategically, Matt, picking names that don't feature in songs, I notice. Disappointing. Mm. The shout-out list is in order, and I am going in order. Mm, okay. Sure. Right. Now what can we do? <laughs> it's all right. It's all in hand, David. Calm down. Right. We've arrived at the big crescendo, provided, of course, originally by by Matt Roberts, uh, and prior to that by listener number, backer number 300 and something or other, Layla. Hello, Layla. And thank you... I think it was 262. 262. Hello, Layla. And thank you for all that you've inadvertently provided. Um, And also thank you to Ruben Grief, a extremely talented listener who has put his skills to glorious, glorious work. And in the company of the dulcet tones of Matt Roberts is going to play out the show. Backer number 262. Just Layla. Just right, Layla. Layla. Like the song. No, not like the song. It's spelled differently. Thanks, Layla. What song's that? Um, Sing it. Is it? Uh, <laughs> you think you've Lila? You think you've Lila by Oasis? No, no. Um, Layla, you got me on my knees, Layla. Oh yes. 
It's the first time I've ever heard Matt sing. It is. What a note to finish on. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 